you can use that single factor, the identity of the of the laptop as a stand-in for identifying Mike and make a completely transparent but highly secure, unfishable uh, authentication flow. Um, so you can get you can raise the security bar and raise the usability bar at the same time. Welcome to the DevSec for Scale podcast, the show that makes security a first-class citizen for growing companies. Welcome back to another episode of the DevSec for Scale podcast. With me today is Mike Malone, CEO and founder of SmallStep, a DevOps-focused automated certificate lifecycle management company. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show with me. And before we get to learn a little bit more about you and what SmallStep is doing, Let's get right into it and we'll talk about the topic of passwords and logins. What are the main methods developers are using today to log into various applications and why have we made it so complex? Yeah. Hi, Jeremy. Uh, great to be here. Um, the main methods everybody is using to log into anything I'd say today is some form of shared secret or symmetric key, a password, an API token, call it what you want to call it. But functionally, um, that's what people use for the most part to log in to anything. Um, and uh, most people don't think of that as complex. I think the reason that that method is, I'd say, overused um, in applications or maybe it shouldn't be um, is because it's it seems simple but it's deceptively complex. Uh, you know, a password is, is somewhat intuitive. You know, a, a secret phrase or something is easy for, for someone to understand. But when you try to productionize that technique, when you try to bring it to a large scale system and you realize that, you know, there's a whole pipeline of infrastructure that uh, needs to pass that secret around and, needs to be shunted around across network people might have eyes on it and you need to govern and manage that secret through that whole life cycle that is an incredibly complex thing to do um to the point where i think people ought to not be using that technique quite as often as they do yeah i guess that could also bring us to the question of what made uh developers you know, come up with their applications and then decide to say, well, for my application, I would like you to log in this way versus that way. There must have been some thought process behind what was the easiest plus most secure all at the same time. And then we kind of got into this whole, you know, I guess just sort of complex, whatever you want to call it, notion yeah. of various types of, of login procedures. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it start? That's an that's interesting a good, idea. Yeah, that's a good yeah, question. That, but that's, but that's, yeah, I mean, I it's here now, different. right? Yeah. Yeah. There's momentum behind it. Yeah. I guess we, I guess we can't really go back at this point. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. uh, let's, uh, let's keep going. Uh, actually, let's learn a little bit more about you, Mike. Why don't you tell us about yourself, background, what you're doing at Small Step? Yeah. I mean, my background is uh, I'm a nerd. I'm a software engineer, uh, learned programming when I was in like middle school, you know. Um, so uh, I like to say uh, uh, like 
I'm a I'm a distributed systems guy. I like to say like distributed systems architecture is sort of my my happy place. I like building large software systems and building teams that are building large software systems. Um, and I have had the good fortune to be allowed to do that uh, professionally, basically my entire career. Um, and that's really how I got into doing small step. You know, I got I got uh, running with the the DevOps crowd and the microservices and cloud native cloud before all those terms were um, were invented by marketers, I guess. Um, uh, so that that's been like my my life, right? Is is that space, um, modern software technologies, techniques, philosophies, agile, you know, all, all that good stuff. Um, and the impetus for small stuff was really that uh the the an incompatibility between those technologies and techniques and the sort of status quo of uh cybersecurity, um, the inability to to layer on security technologies into an, an operational environment that was using, you know, CICD and automation and config management and containers and all that stuff. Um, so that's how I got to where I am, high level. Great. So yeah, I mean, well, why don't you also give us just a little bit more detail into what certificate automation is, how that works? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, our we're an open core technology, or sorry, open core company, which means our core technology is open source, and that core technology is a certificate management tool chain. Um, so certificates, high level, uh, really old technology, in fact, predate the web. Um, but uh, it, it's uh, at, at its most basic form, a certificate is just a a data structure that uh, has a public key and a name in it and it's signed over. And it's just saying like, hey, like Mike's public key is X, right? Um, primarily we're issuing X509 uh, and SSH certificates. Um, although there's some more niche uh, uh, certificate types that we can manage as well. Um, and those are mostly usable SSH certificates for SSH and X509 certificates for TLS, which is, you know, the most widely deployed cryptographic protocol in the world and it's used for pretty much everything. Um, so it's a network security technology at the end of the day. It's a identity and credential management for network security. Well, yeah, we'll get into a little bit about the asymmetric uh, cryptography as well. So what would be, in your eyes, the most ideal, secure, and non-invasive way that any user, even a non-technical user, would be able to use to log into any application. Yeah, I mean, the way I like to think about it is like as an any any entity, like you know, a person or a device or anything has an identity, um, like in in a singular identity, typically. And I I think um, the simplest thing you can do is to give that entity one way of authenticating that identity, one credential that it needs to worry about. Um, for humans, single sign-on is probably the best technology that we have. Uh, so like the older protocol is SAML, the newer protocol for that is OAuth plus OpenID Connect or OIDC. Um, for devices or virtual devices, it's, it's, it's harder, but it's becoming standardized. And um, I think that 
the technology that's becoming ubiquitous are these cryptographic coprocessors, trusted platform modules or TPMs, different platforms call them different things. A generic name is a TPM. Um, but some uh, some specialized piece of security hardware, cryptographic hardware that is bound to that device um, and really identifies that device. Um, and this sounds obscure and complicated. And like anything, if you go deep, it is, you know, but so is a so is a microprocessor. Um, but at a high level, it's pretty straightforward stuff. It's just some artifact that's that's sort of tied to this device or to this human, you know, something that only only you would know, Jeremy, uh, can be used to authenticate you. Um, I'd add to that, like, you know, for humans, a big problem right now is phishing. And um, the solution to that is, uh, it, well, the best solution that we have right now are security tokens, uh, pass keys, as they're being called now, FIDO, WebAuthn, whatever you want to, whatever standard uh, is relevant to, um, you know, the layer of the stack you're working in. And what underpins most of this stuff is asymmetric cryptography. Yeah, so that's that's I guess the root of of what we're dealing with, right? I mean, so when you're talking about asymmetric asymmetric uh, cryptography, let's let's talk a little bit about what that means uh, from from a little bit of a lower level. Um, you know, our audience is is pretty savvy with this kind of stuff. I'm sure they've yeah. heard of cryptography. They know at least you know on a shallow level what it means. So can you give us a short primer on you know what asymmetric cryptography is? and uh, how that could be sort of a better solution, um, how you could implement it in a better way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, let me start by saying I'm not a cryptographer. <laughs> so, um, but you don't have to be to, to use, like, to, you know, to use a, this technology effectively. Um, you, there are people who are smarter than me about the mathematics. I like to say, uh, like asymmetric cryptography is a magical gift from mathematics to computer science, right? And what it enables, like unlike symmetric cryptography, where like if I was authenticating to you using symmetric cryptography, um, functionally both, like at least two people would need to know the secret, you and me, whether we're talking about a password or some sort of symmetric signing technique. At the end of the day, like both of us would have had to have eyes on the secret at some point. Um, whereas with asymmetric cryptography, you have a public and a private key. And um, I can sign something with the private key and you can verify uh, the that signature. You can confirm that the signature was signed by a specific private key using the corresponding public key. So. Um, that gives you the ability, you know, that gives me the, me the ability to prove to you that I possess that private key without you ever seeing the private key. So I'm, I'm the only one who ever, ever sees or has eyeballs on that. Um, so, you know, the math goes deep on how that works, but again, like there's an intuition there that's really powerful that, that, um, you know, doesn't require a deep understanding of the mathematics to to leverage. Um, and again, going back to these like coprocessors, things like uh, security tokens or TPMs, that private key is generated on this coprocessor. Like, you know, the take the secure enclave for an iPhone or something like that. Um, and 
can never be taken out of that secure enclave. Um, so you know that it's bound in silicon to a specific device and you know that that secure enclave may be soldered onto a motherboard right you have physical characteristics that help you um you know with high confidence uh you know as good as we can get uh know that a, a specific um a specific piece of hardware was involved in an interaction and you could <clears throat> theoretically offer any user with any device, mobile, computer, whatever it is, a way to securely store that private key that they could use in order to authenticate with any application that they would have needed. I mean, hypothetically, I always kind of use like Gmail as like a generic, uh, you know, generic application for everyone because everyone knows it is like, okay, well, it's email. So like you could have your iPhone open up your mail app. And instead of just going straight into the mail app or asking for a login and a password, it would say, I now know that inside your phone is that specific private key that's yours. It matches what we have inside of our machines, inside of our servers, and the public version, the public key of that, and says, okay, now you're now authorized to go into your email. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that that would be like a a use of this technology as a single factor right people talk a lot about multi-factor authentication and um like there is this universal second factor uh um standardization effort around like hey let's use a password and um some sort of bound private key but i'd say for lower security uh um resources, let's call them, um, you can use uh, a hardware bound private key, say on a device where you know that you have good governance, right? Say a managed device, and you know that the hard drive's encrypted and password protection is turned on and like the lock screen is, is, you know, turns on after one minute or something. So, you know, like, well, this is Mike's laptop. Um, Mike's the only one who can get into the laptop and we have a way of identifying this laptop, you can use that single factor, the identity of the of the laptop as a stand-in for identifying Mike and make a completely transparent, but highly secure, unfishable uh, authentication flow. Um, so you can get, you can raise the security bar and raise the usability bar at the same time. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I think about is actual implementation for average users, right? What does that require from them? What would what sort of configuration does a, a normal human who doesn't know how to use any of these types of authentication methods, uh, how do they implement that? Well, so are we talking about the end users who are doing the authentication or are we talking about the engineers who have to implement the authentication techniques well let's say let's let's assume that we've gotten past the implementation from the developers now let's yeah. talk about the end users actually you know because you at the end of the day you're talking about you know your your mom and pop who you know want to get into whatever applications they use on a daily basis and they don't want to do more than let's say their fingerprint or username and password uh, they don't want this what what is this key thing I have to put where on my phone and how do I get it on my computer? You know, how do you do that? 
Right. Well, I mean, if it's done right, the answer is potentially nothing. They don't even need to know that it's happening. It can just happen because this is authenticating the device and the device knows how to authenticate its, itself. So implemented correctly, this can be completely transparent to the end user. It just works. Oh, that, that's that's the dream, I guess. So what would be then the pitfalls of, of using uh, asymmetric uh, cryptography for, you know, for, for humans, we'll call it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, there's a tooling gap and uh, a knowledge gap. I'd say, um, aside from those, I don't see major pit pitfalls. Um, asymmetric cryptography is harder to implement than symmetric shared key cryptography. Um, so there is some implementation effort involved, but there are good libraries, well-maintained libraries in modern languages and modern stacks. You know, Golang has a has a phenomenal crypto library. Um, uh, maintained by Filippo Valsardo and like so, so there are there are great tool chains and um I, I'd say the biggest gap is is yeah tooling and understanding um the tooling gap is why small step exists right like our our mission is to democratize this technology make it more accessible to everybody um it doesn't need to be as baroque and specialized as you know open ssl makes it seem like, like look open ssl is a great library i don't want to spread fud or anything but but it's it the flags and it's got a lot of historical baggage and you know if that's your only exposure to this stuff like it doesn't have to be like that right um and um and yeah, like I said earlier, you don't have to be a mathematician and and understand the ins and ins and outs of asymmetric cryptography in order to use it. If you want to go that deep, then great, more power to you, do it. But um, but you can use it without without that level of of you know depth of understanding. And I think what's cool about certificates, uh, from at least my understanding, uh, is that you have this many to one. Uh, idea rather than sort of like one to one, which in, a, in essence is one to many, right? So not everybody needs to have a, their own private key, which relates or correlates to their own public key that's sitting on a server. You could just have one certificate that is authenticating thousands of private keys. Is that correct? Yes, in the sense that you have a certificate authority, right? So you have that one private key that's being used to sign all of these uh, all of these um, certificates, as opposed to um, what some people call simple public key infrastructure, SPKI, sometimes called spooky, uh, which is uh, you know what SSH uses by default, for example. So by default, SSH uses a simple public key infrastructure which basically means instead of using certificates, there's a file on disk on every SSH host that says, you know, Mike's public key is X. So there's no certificate. I just have, as the end user, I just have a raw private key and the server, every server that I want to access has my public key. Whereas with a certificate, every server has the certificate authority's public key. And when I log in, I present a certificate that has my public key, my name and a, and a signature uh, that signature comes from the certificate authority. So the that certificate-based public key infrastructure, yeah, it's this, it, it's it's incredibly flexible and incredibly scalable, which is why it's used on the web, right? It's it is truly web scale. It is what web PKI is built on. Is this notion of um, of 
you know, certificate-based public key infrastructure. So it's highly scaled, scalable. It's peer-to-peer, um, large distributed uh, solution for distributed, uh, you know, distributed systems. So asymmetric cryptography, <clears throat> along with ensuring there is a certificate authority. Let's get a little bit more detail on this idea of a certificate authority, how it would work, who can be a certificate authority? Sure. I mean, anyone can be a certificate authority. Um, there is, I mean, a lot of people are most familiar with the web PKI, right? Like the way that you, know, if you go to google.com, um, your browser is, is verifying Google's certificate, right? Um, and that Google certificate was issued by a publicly trusted web PKI certificate authority. And when I say publicly trusted, what that actually means at the end of the day is there are a couple companies that have what are called root program management uh, or uh, uh, root management programs, I should say. Uh, so like Mozilla, Apple, Microsoft, and most recently Google started their own root program. Um, and uh, they ship with their browsers and operating systems a trust store, just a list of root certificates that are trusted by default. And um, so for a web PKI, you need to buy or, you know, if you're using Let's Encrypt, which you should be using automated certificate management, that's a, a big pro tip, uh, then you can get for free a publicly trusted certificate for your domain name. But that same technology can be used uh, in many other scenarios uh, for you know internal network security, zero trust network security. Um, and you can run your own certificate authority. You don't need to. And in fact, for a lot of reasons, should not be relying on the, the public web PKI for those internal interactions. You should be managing uh, a certificate authority of your own. So, so you absolutely can. And you know, that's what that's what small stuff helps with. And I know AQLIS has some offerings there as well. Yeah, yeah, we, we do, uh, of course, offer our own certificate authority because if you trust us, then you trust our authority as a certificate authority. Hence, <laughs> you can use us for your own work within the secrets management space there too. So yeah, that's really, really cool. I think that was a, a really awesome, uh, you know, beginner's understanding and high-level understanding for uh, all of us about how to use, you know, asymmetric cryptography with understanding how logins work and and how, you know, we're working to try and sort of make it easier for everyone, especially developers, to kind of centralize and, and not have to deal with as many of these extra steps uh, when they're trying to get all their work done uh, on a regular basis, you know, don't have to worry about this key and that token and this certificate and this login. Uh, so that's really, really cool that we're really coming to this understanding of what it means to uh, make things simpler and help developers get their work done. Uh, and the last thing that I wanted to ask, which uh, I ask all my guests, is if you can give us uh, one or two of your own Mike Malone tips for uh, improving developer security without uh, disrupting developer life cycles. Well, I mean, I feel like we've talked a lot about that already, uh, yeah, but I, I aside from at, that, yeah, at, at a high level, I think um, 
approach security like you do every everything else in the in the you know the devops space right uh automation uh like question the status quo you know question what you're doing and uh, uh blame free postmortems and uh, uh continuous improvement you know those are th those same techniques and philosophies need to be applied to your your secops as well um, if you're gonna raise the bar there. So, uh, I mean, a big one, a huge one is just automation. Um, what can you automate and, um, and sort of eliminate the toil and the human factor from the equation. Fantastic. Mike, this was an awesome conversation. I really appreciate having you on the show and I uh, look forward to seeing what Small Step uh, continues to do in the uh, certificate automation space. Thanks, Jeremy, great to be here. All right. Thanks for coming and uh, to everyone listening, stay secure.